What's up, skeptics? Welcome to another episode of Reason to Doubt, your source for all things skeptical. I'm Jordan. With me, as always, is Jared. And today, I don't know about you, Jared, but I'm feeling in the Christmas spirit. I actually am as well. Normally, I, I kind of get burnt out on Christmas because it happens like after Halloween. But this year, I was able to hold off and I didn't hear a single Christmas song until after Thanksgiving. And I'm just feeling it this year. So that's the same thing. We don't play any Christmas music until after Thanksgiving is done. Uh, we don't, though. We do put out some like decorations before just like to get things ready. Uh, yeah. But we don't have a nativity, unfortunately. We don't have a nativity yeah. either. Um, my mother-in-law has one with Eskimos, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> so the nativity story for those who may not be aware is a very popular story told around Christmas, which is the celebration of Jesus' birth, and it tells the story of how Jesus came to be. But what you may not be aware—I mean, if you're listening to this channel, you probably know—but you may not be aware that the nativity story that you get in church is not what you'll get if you just read the Gospels. And the nativity stories you get in the Gospels may not necessarily work so well if you try to put them together. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about the story of Jesus' birth and the differences between the accounts we have and some of the contradictions we have and whether or not they can be true at the same time. Yep. Speak, Before we speaking do of that, contradictory though, things. Yeah. yeah. Well, or non-contradictory things. <laughs> Today's yeah. fallacy of the day is not a fallacy, but it's a, a law of logic. We're going to talk about the law of non-contradiction. So this came up because I had an interaction with a particularly verbose idiot on Twitter. Uh, myself and Joe and Dave from Answers and Reason were talking to this guy, and he was just like playing fallacy bingo. And one of the, his favorite things to accuse us of was violating the law of non-contradiction because we told him he was wrong. So we thought it might mm. be fun to talk about it let's talk about the law of non-contradiction what it actually means yeah law, the law of uh, non-contradiction it's actually pretty simple it's basically something cannot be both a and not a at the same time right exactly <clears throat> at the same yeah. time and critically like in the same sense right yes. so just because you use the same word doesn't mean the word means the same thing yeah and there's a couple of good examples of this um for example, if you said Fred is bald, may not be a contradiction if, for example, Fred has little little flecks on the right. side or something like that. He still has hair yeah. technically, but you have to define what it means to be bald and, and the definition that you're using too. So, right. Uh, also, so bachelors not, is another one. <clears throat> yeah. So the bald thing might not be a contradiction, but if I said that Fred is both married and a bachelor, then that would violate the law of non-contradiction because part of the definition of the word bachelor is not being married and you can't be both right. married and not married at the same time. Right. Yep. And so that's all it means. It's pretty simple. Uh, so you just have to be careful about the words you're using and the definition to make sure that when I say a word and you say a word, we're meaning the same thing. So we don't get confused. And you mean uh, have a conversation with somebody, right? That's what you mean? Well, yeah, uh, you obviously wouldn't do that on the internet. You just yell at them and, you know, throw fallacies yeah, yeah, of at course them. So. Yeah, until they go away. <laughs> but you also can't just define your way out of this kind of it situation. So you can't say, like, if I say you're breaking the law, like you, you did this thing, it's against the law. It's like, no, 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 I'm breaking Forgelbottoms. 
It's identical to the law in every way, but I'm just calling it something different. Like that's that doesn't make it different, right? <laughs> right, <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so the content of the word is what matters there. Uh, yeah, you, you so caught me that's, off guard there with the four bottoms. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that that's the goal. That way, yeah. I win the argument, and that's what really matters. Uh, so. <laughs> but we all know what really matters this time of year is the nativity, right? Jesus, the reason for the season, baby. It is the reason for the season, and you're talking about the nativity you actually get when you're in church. So, I, if anybody's been to church or whatever on this time of year, and uh, most Christians, even if they don't go year round, they usually go to a Christmas service. They'll see some sort of nativity play, right? Christmas, and, and you Easter. always have magi. Shepherds, maybe you got a little drummer boy in there or something like that. And maybe you've even participated in a nativity in your past if you were a churchgoer when you were young. But sure, you you um, have like all the sheep and chickens and goats and like because they have to have a part for every kid, so they have like a every ton kid of has animals. to do something, right? Yeah, it's like yeah. so. But the um, and I think that's where most people get their idea and the concept of the nativity, and it just makes sense. Like, oh, we just put all these things together, and what we we call that as a mashup essentially. But what Jordan and I are going to talk about today is we're going to go over the gospel narratives of the nativities of the birth of Jesus. And then we're going to compare them. So first thing that we need to point out is that there's only two gospels who actually give a birth account of Jesus, right? So what are those Jordans? Matthew and Luke, which are probably the second and third gospels written. So Mark probably came first, then Matthew and Luke, both of whom use Mark, and then John after all of them. John and Mark don't say a word about Jesus before he's an adult. Which is surprising, too. I bet if you ask most Christians, most people would say that, you know, Mark or John, maybe if they know John, they may know. But most people would say that at least Mark has something in there about Jesus being born, right? Maybe. I mean, I, I think if you just went to most Christians, they would just, I don't know, it's in there somewhere. <laughs> like, you know? Okay, okay. Fair, fair point, right? Fair point. So, uh, um, But, and, and that story, like, it makes sense if you just kind of uh, read them casually, just like flipping through, or maybe you only get it at Christmas. But what we're going to do to highlight this is we're going to go through both gospel stories real quick, just kind of the highlights. And what yeah. I want you the listener to do is really pay attention to both stories and like try to keep them both in your head and that's because we're going to compare them at the end so the first one is the nativity according to matthew yep so matthew uh he starts off his gospel by just like straight up going into genealogies uh he's going through a bunch of bunch of baguettes right but he does this to kind of pave the way to show how we get to jesus and he starts off his gospel by basically saying Jesus is going to be born. So we we our first story we get is Mary being betrothed to Joseph. and But before they get a chance to get married, uh, she gets knocked up. And so Joseph is like wrestling with this idea. He's like, oh my gosh, what do I do? The person I was going to marry isn't, you know, she's not faithful. She got knocked up. And uh, Joseph has a dream. An angel comes to him and says, hey, uh, she was actually faithful, but uh, God, you know, she's married with, uh, pregnant with the Holy Spirit. And Joseph's like, oh, well, that makes sense then. Cool, I'll go ahead and marry her, and it's all good. But he didn't... Man, I was so worried. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But they they, they do point out he doesn't consummate the marriage until actually Jesus is born. So um, there's that. Because this is important, too, actually, because in uh, Jewish um, uh, tradition, the marriage takes three parts. There's a contract, there's a public declaration, and then there's the consummation of the marriage. And so in order to be fully married, you have to actually do all three of these things. So, so would this mean 
that Jesus was born out of wedlock and was therefore a bastard? Technically, for I mean, I don't know how fat long after he was born they consummated. So, maybe, but technically, yeah, so technically, yeah. yeah. Okay, hot take uh, right here. Jesus, uh, certified bastard. Jesus was Jesus is a bastard. So, all right. So that's that's going uh, on the thumbnail. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Matthew makes a good point. Of, uh, a big point to highlight that this is all done in fulfillment of prophecy, right? So this is a concurrent, a recurring theme in Matthew. Everything he says was done to fulfill prophecy. So Jesus is born in Bethlehem. That's just where they were. Uh, and then King Herod gets visited by some magi. They eat, drink. They talk about this star that they saw and then wants to know where is the baby of the Jews. So where's the Jew baby? The new king of the Jews that was just <laughs> yeah. born. You know, the, the new yeah, one. That was just know. born. Where is he? And so um, Herod's like, oh, well, this is interesting. Go, can you go find them? I need to know where they are. And so they follow the star. So, and they, So I can worship them. That's why. So I can worship them. Yeah. No, no alternative motives here. So they go to the house. Uh, and it's a house, and they find a baby, and they give them some gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then they get a dream. So there's a lot of dreams in this story. They get a dream that says, "Don't go back to Herod. He's a bad dude." So they kind of bypass Herod and they go back to the east where they came from. All right. So now we have Joseph and a baby and Mary. And Joseph gets a dream and says, yo, there's a bad stuff about to happen. You need to get your butt down to Egypt. So Joseph picks up his family, goes down to Egypt. About this time, Herod's like, wasn't there some magi supposed to find this baby of the Jews for me? And he goes, I was duped. He's like, all right, I'm mad. Kill all the babies. And so he makes all it the babies clear that he wants two, two years and younger. Yeah. If they're two or younger, they got to go. We got to kill them all. So he does. Apparently he does that. And then um, Joseph gets another dream that says, hey, coast is clear. Uh, you can go back. Herod's not here no more because Herod dies. And then on the way back, he gets another dream that says, you probably shouldn't go back to Bethlehem because there's some shady stuff going on around there. So Joseph's like, well, I guess I'll take my family to Nazareth. So he goes to Nazareth. And that's right. the they, that's the story. <laughs> they go back when they leave Egypt. They avoid Bethlehem because one of Herod's descendants. It's like it's like they constantly <laughs> the, the angels kept forgetting something. It's like oh, I got to give them another dream. I got to give them another dream. And the whole time Matthew's like, oh, and, and this was done for, to fulfill prophecy. And then this was done for to fulfill prophecy. Like it's just it's so funny. Very important. Um, yeah. So that's the story Luke, in Matthew. Luke is the other narrative, and his goes. Chapter one and two, a little bit longer than Matthew's. His starts with a bit of extended prophecy. There's like multiple layers. It starts with a prophecy about uh, John the Baptist, who's going to be born, who is evidently related to Jesus, well, to Mary in some way. And it's a big deal to Luke because he spends like the whole chapter on it. But basically, it's not too important for the nativity. The important thing is there's a bunch of prophecies. Baby John the Baptist is super stoked to see baby Jesus in Mary's <laughs> womb. There's some more prophecies. And then we get to chapter two. So that's like all chapter one is just prophecies about John and how he's going to be awesome and Jesus, how he's going to be even better. Then you get uh, Gabriel, the angel. He goes to Mary, not in a dream. He like just goes to her and he says, hey, you're awesome. You're going to uh, give birth to the Savior and you're going to call him Jesus. And Mary's like, but I haven't had sex. He's like, don't worry. God's about to take care of that. So... <laughs> So he does, and G Joseph, there's no mention of him being pissed about it or anything. He just does his thing. Whatever, they go on. So it's time for Jesus to be born. Uh, so the next chapter two opens with a census being taken by order of Caesar Augustus, and it, it, the census is going to be for the whole world. 
And because of this census, uh, Judea being a Roman province, Joseph has to leave Nazareth, where they're from. They're from Galilee, Nazareth, the town. And they have to go to Bethlehem for the census because he was descended from the house of David. Okay. And so they get there. There's no room in the guest room. It's usually translated as like inn. That's probably what you've heard of. There's no room in the inns. They had to go in the manger thing. It was probably more better translation than a more better translation. It's probably a better translation that's like, <laughs> it wasn't like they were going to like like a, a holiday inn, like a motel or anything. It's like right. you go to stay with somebody. The house like would have rooms for people to stay in, but there was like no room there. So they had to go sleep where like the animals and the food and stuff was. That's what it means. It wasn't a Motel 8, though. That's for sure. <laughs> right. Exactly. Holiday Inn. Everything would have been fine. So Joseph does, or sorry, Jesus does get put in a manger. Then some shepherds get told about it. They're super happy about it. They go see this baby, and they're super stoked. Eight days afterwards, Jesus gets the little uh, snippy snip on the penis, because he's a man of, of, uh, <laughs> of Abraham. And uh, they do the things that they have to do at the temple. There's some more interactions. And when they'd finished doing everything that was required of the law, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And that's the end. Hmm. Okay. Wow. So So if you were actually, yeah. Those are the two accounts. if If you're paying attention, though, you would notice that when Jordan gave his story and or recollection and I gave my recounting of it, they there wasn't much overlap there, was there at all? Right. If you just like put side by side all of the things, if you just like as we're as we're talking, you just wrote down everything that happened and you look at your two list, almost nothing would be the same. I mean, the broad strokes, like someone gets a message that a savior is going to be born. It's going to be born of Mary, who's a virgin, and they have the baby in Bethlehem for whatever reason. And then eventually end up up in Nazareth. Nazareth. (laughs) Those points are the same. But yeah, but that's that's like super vague. You know, uh, there's a lot of ways in which these don't match up and and not just don't match up, but like can't be simultaneously true. So, for example, where's Jesus from? Like, what's his hometown? Mary and Joseph, his parents, where are they from? Are they from Nazareth? Are they from Bethlehem? Are they from right. somewhere else? Yeah. So in Matthew's story, it's clear that they're from Bethlehem. Why are they in Bethlehem? That's where they live. And then they have the baby. And the reason why do they leave Bethlehem? Because Herod is going to like kill them, you know, and they learn about this years later. Uh, So Jesus is like a toddler at this point. And so they're like, hey, you need to go to Egypt. We all know why he went to Egypt. Why? Because it's like the coming out of Egypt with Moses. It's very, you know, symbolic. So like, but that's why they leave. And when they come back from Egypt, where do they go? They want to go to Bethlehem. Why? Because that's where they're from. But the reason they end up in Nazareth is because they can't go back to Bethlehem, right? For for a reason, yeah. yeah, they have they have a reason. In Luke, yeah. it's the opposite. Where are they from? They're from Nazareth. Why are they in Bethlehem? Well, they had the census that they had to go to, you know. And oh, wouldn't you know it? It was the whole world, and you had to go to where your ancestors were from a thousand years ago. Which, let's side note, this is completely implausible. This census, it doesn't make any sense. It's clearly just a device invoked by Luke to get uh, Jesus and his parents to Bethlehem. I mean, just think about it, like. What's the point of a census? The point of a census is to like count all the people so you know who to charge what for taxes, right? That's that's the point. It's about it's ultimately about money. It's so, yeah, it's always about money. <laughs> so why would you like want everyone to like migrate all across 
I mean, presumably the empire, but even if by the whole world, what he meant was, you know, not the whole world, but like just this very little small part of the world over here. Like, why would they, <laughs> why would it be like, where was your ancestor from a thousand years ago? That's where we want to count you. Like, how does that make any sense <laughs> right. at all? And the only reason I think it's a thousand years, I, I haven't actually looked into this and it probably should, but like, cause if you look at the genealogy that Luke gives, it would, it's probably, that's where that answer. Oh, we need well, to get him back here. Let me count back. All right. This ancestor was here. All right. We need yeah, to go back. That's a David. Bethlehem, there you go. That makes, so it doesn't yeah. make any sense. But why does this happen? Why do we have this contradiction? Well, it seems pretty obvious. Everyone knew Jesus was from Nazareth, right? But everyone also knew, or at least Matthew and Luke are very motivated to get Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. They have reasons for that. And so they both come up with different reasons for that. But the two reasons don't work together. Uh, timing yeah. is another thing that doesn't work, which we've touched on. This is huge. And actually... Most people don't even realize that Jesus in the Matthew account is a toddler when the Magi come to see him. He's got to be at least a two, like a year and a half to two years old at this point. And in Luke's story, he's literally a newborn baby, like eight days old. Like, Yeah, it explicitly says he's taken to the te- temple at eight days because like that's when you do it. And you yeah. do the various purification stuff. And then when that's done... The thing they just did, they go home. He's still a, like a in swaddling clothes. But in Matthew, Herod uh, is like the wise men. They come from the east. It's not said where, but somewhere from the east. And they travel evidently for years because it's implied the star appeared when Jesus was born. And they follow yes. the star to the house. Eventually, the star like actually points them straight to the actual house. I'm not sure how that works, but whatever. Uh, but in any case, like it's a very when Herod, uh, pointed light star. <laughs> it was like it was like a Google Maps GPS thing. Uh, <laughs> but when Herod is going to issue this order to kill everybody, to kill all the kids in verse uh, sixteen, chapter two, he says that it's for every kid under two, using the time he had learned from the Magi. So what he had learned from the Magi from when the star appeared was evidently two years ago. And she's like, okay, well, if that's the star that heralded when this kid was born, I have to kill everyone under two. So that the reason, of course, is so that he, this new king of the Jews won't overthrow him because he's the king of the Jews, right? Exactly. Um, he's His power has been threatened. And so it it's not necessarily clear that in the story whether the, Jesus was born exactly when the star was, but the Magi just say, this is when the star appeared so Herod's like, just to be safe, anytime any kid that was born after that star up to now has got to go. Like, <clears throat> we got to get yeah, rid of him. This is this is clearly not days uh, after the the event. And, and I just want to point out too. So if we're thinking about things that don't make sense uh, from timing wise, like, does it make sense that Herod would kill a bunch of babies and nobody in history would talk about it? Like. <laughs> No, like like Herod just goes on a murder baby rampage, just like slaughtering an entire generation of children because he owns like. OK, so if I recall correctly, Herod was a client king for the Romans. Yes. Right. Yes. And he's so kind of he like a figurehead. Yeah. Yeah. So he controlled like half of the territory that would ultimately like when you think of Israel, he controlled like half of it. Right. That's like a lot of area. And nobody like you said, nobody mentioned it except for some Christian one one Christian, not even like a bunch of them. Just one, just one Matthew, dude, one dude writing 50 years later in the context of a story to get Jesus to Egypt and then to, to, to Nazareth, like Josephus, the historian of the first century didn't think it was relevant. You know, that like hundreds, if not thousands of babies were slaughtered. Like it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It, it doesn't make any sense too. And, um, 
if we think about it from a from a literary standpoint, it does make sense though. Because what sure. happened in the Moses story? The Pharaoh the Mo- killed all the babies, right? Right. To try to get it's, so clearly this is calling back to things that happened in the Old Testament. And so that goes to uh the, we we could go on on some of the uh the contradictions, but you can just weigh them side by side and see all these yeah. various contradictions. Now, a lot of times theists when trying to explain this will harmonize it in some way, right? They'll try to say, well, they do the mash. Yeah. <laughs> they'll mash him up, right? Uh so they'll either do what they do in the nativity scene and that's where like just picture the nativity you've got jesus with the magi and the shepherds and the manger but like the manger and the shepherds they're from luke the magi and And the gifts are all from matthew yeah Yeah, that's from matthew and the two were like years apart in time so like even if you thought that both of these happened like somehow they were from nazareth but matthew didn't mention it he didn't mention the whole census thing he just got picked up with them in bethlehem right and then like they did the thing at the temple and then uh luke just doesn't mention the whole herod thing and the flight to egypt he just says oh and then they went to nazareth forgetting that they spent this multi-year <laughs> journey to because it's not a short way it takes a long time to walk to egypt right and back and waiting for herod to die you know like so like luke just forgot it like that doesn't make sense but if you so if you mash these things together and just like ignore all the differences, then what you're doing is you're making your own gospel. Like now it's not the gospel according to Matthew. It's not the gospel according to Luke. Now it's the gospel according to Joe Blow Christian. You right now. Yeah, and it's interesting too, a lot of times uh, the the nativity story you get will differ based on your tradition that you're in in your church. Like some churches tell a different nativity story. Some, you know, some tell specific ones. So it just depends on what they choose to omit and what they choose to to keep in when they're telling the story. But um Right. And taking kind of like a, a source material and like adding your own spin to it is not that different from like what the gospel writers did, right? Because Matthew and Luke both copied Mark to make their own and then added their own pieces and omitted whatever pieces they didn't like and made changes. So like yep. it really is writing your own gospel to ignore the differences between these accounts. And I mean, speaking of writing your own gospel, this kind of gets into this next little topic we want to talk about, but like, why do we have differences? Why is it that Mar- uh, Mark doesn't talk about the birth? Why is it that Matthew talks about it, but talks about it differently? Why does John not talk about it? And we get to something that we talked about on this uh, show a bunch, but that's the synoptic problem. And so the synoptics are basically what we call the first three books of the, the New Testament, the first three gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is not considered a synoptic. And the reason we call them synoptic is because synoptic basically means seen together. So like if you see optic, like with their visions and sin means like synonymous, so like we see them together. And they're when you look at them kind of vaguely, they seem like the same story. They're telling the same outline of the story. But we call it a problem because they're not telling the same story, right? And there's a bunch so, of different uh, contradictions. So. Matthew and Luke use upwards of 90% of Mark in writing their book. So clearly they were using Mark when they wrote, and then they added their own spin. And that's the problem. And so the reason we have these different accounts is pretty clear, because these are three different authors, and then once you throw in John, four different authors, who are telling their own story in their own time for their own reasons. So Mark had a particular story he wanted to tell for his own reason. And then Matthew saw Mark's gospel. He wanted to tell his own story based on what he knew and his goals. 
his goals were clearly more about like fulfilling a prophecy. And he what he corrected some of the uh, things that Mark had gotten wrong about geography or Jewish custom and things like that. So he's writing for his own purposes. Then and Luke, he tells us his purpose. His purpose is because he thought everybody before him was terrible and wrong, <laughs> and he wanted to get it right. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> if you make the mistake of assuming univocality, assuming all of these authors are fundamentally telling the same thing and it's just one story, then what you've really done is robbed the authors of the story they were trying to tell. They all had their own purposes. And like Luke especially, he says that those who came before him didn't write an order to count and he had Mark in his hands, right? So like- <laughs> He clearly he had Mark in his hands. <laughs> clearly had Mark in his hands for sure. Some people think might he had Matthew. Might have had Matthew. Maybe, might have had Matthew, but... maybe. Yeah, it's unclear, perhaps. But definitely had Mark. And he's like, that guy's not good, so read mine. So clearly Luke would object to like you saying that they're saying the same thing because Luke went out of his way to not say the same thing, right? <laughs> he wrote a whole book right. about it. So- we're talking about the nativity because it's Christmas and, you know, it's a story that everyone listening is probably familiar with. If you're from America, it's just the broad strokes. You've kind of heard of the nativity, but this is just one example of that's of a story that's overlapped through the different gospels, but overlapped with differences. So every gospel writer puts their own spin on it, but that's something you'll miss if you're reading just one right after the other. Uh, if you're reading it vertically is so like, if you're just going down a page, so if yeah. you uh, took Matthew and you read Matthew, it's like, okay, well, that's, you know, it's telling a story. Mark, okay, Mark sounds kind of like Matthew and Luke sounds kind of like if you just read them one right after the other, right? It's easy to miss the differences then. But if you do it horizontally, where you read a story in Mark, like, okay, then read the same story in Matthew and the same story in Luke and John if it's there. Read them, like, put them next to each other. Or uh, you can get parallel gospels that do it for you and line them up for yeah. you. Uh then you basically do what Jordan and I just did, where you read a section, read it in the next one, and then compare them. So, and that'll tell you the differences, which is important, not just because it gives the author its voice, but it also lets you see who changed what and then infer why. Why did they change it? Why did uh, Luke make changes to Mark's gospel? Where does he make changes, and in what way does he make changes? And that can tell you something about the message that Luke is trying to convey. Yeah. I think this is a really important thing to hit on because uh, with our modern day view, we look back on these documents uh, anachronistically to where we're putting our lens on them. And we're like, well, he wasn't telling the right story. And I think if you were to ask Luke, like, hey, Luke, do you know that there actually wasn't a census? Luke, like, um, yeah, whatever, I don't care. Like, I needed to get him here for this purpose. And their whole point is they were, these are theological documents. These aren't historical documents and when you kind of take them and mash them up you're really diminishing the quality of writing and the story that's trying to be told and you're kind of missing the forest for the trees in this uh while i don't believe these these stories i still find great beauty and and stuff within them because of the story they were telling and the conviction in which they tell it right so another example of this is john and the way he alters the crucifixion narrative from the synoptics so what day did jesus get crucified on if you talk to uh if you talk to the synoptics he gets killed after passover so they have a passover meal and they finish that that's the last supper and then afterwards jesus is crucified but john moves that back he has them have a meal but it's not a, a passover meal and then he's killed when is he killed he's killed at the same time 
as the lambs for the Passover meal, because for John, Jesus is the lamb of God. And that's the point he's making. He's using a literary device to underline the importance of this message that Jesus is a sacrificial lamb. And just like that, I bet if you went back and asked John, it's like, John, why'd you change the thing? He's like, who cares? It doesn't matter what day he was killed on. The point is that he was the lamb of God. Like, that's the point I'm making. Yeah. And for like, when you look at these contradictions and we're like, well, why does Luke go uh, to such extent to get him to get to Bethlehem? Or why does Matthew make up some random crazy angel dream to get him to go to Nazareth? Like, obviously they've done something to change the story. One of them can't be right. Um, Right. But if you were to ask them, they would say, well, Jesus is the Messiah. And it says here in the Old Testament or in the Tanakh that the Messiah has to do this to fulfill prophecy. And since Jesus was the Messiah, he had to do something. So right. it's kosher, right? Right. Yeah. It, they're clearly backing into the prophecy they had yeah. previously. And uh, it's difficult. So a lot of Christians will go to great lengths to harmonize these accounts. And what I mean by harmonize is they'll come up with explanations why they're not actually contradictions, right? I talked about it a little earlier where it's like, well, imagine like you could have Matthew and Luke at the same time if like Luke just didn't mention this Egyptian journey they took and all that. Or uh, you could harmonize it in different ways if you just ignore this part of the story or that part of the story. And you can do that with anything if you try hard enough. If you're willing to work hard enough at it, you can probably find an excuse for everything. But that doesn't, one, tell you what the author was trying to say. Uh, it's way more outlandish. Like, the simplest explanation is that Luke was just mistaken. It's just wrong. Like, that's not what happened. Or Matthew is just wrong. Like, Herod didn't actually kill. Like, it's just, just not true. That's there. You just solved the whole problem. <laughs> or, the, or the even more simple story is Matthew was just trying to make Jesus the new Moses, and Moses yeah. had to deal with some baby killing, so Jesus has to deal with some baby killing. Like, it just... And, Or sometimes they'll say things like, well, uh, when Luke said that it was the whole world, you know, he didn't mean the whole world. He didn't mean empire wide. He meant like this whole, (laughs) okay, well, maybe, but then Luke just is mistaken, right? He didn't, when he said the whole world, he was wrong. That's what's happening. Uh, So bottom line is that while you can, if you want, you can harmonize these accounts and you can try to put them together, that doesn't make them not contradictory. They are contradictory. They cannot both be true at the same time. And that tells us something about the Gospels and the kind of books they are. The people writing them clearly had no problem changing things, changing accounts from predecessors for theological reasons, to make the points that they thought were important. That doesn't mean that everything in them is completely useless, that you can't get any information from them. What it does mean is you need to take that into account. Understand the kind of book you're reading when you're trying to learn things about Jesus' life. Yep. And, and so when you're at your church service, watching your nativity play, call them out and be like, that's BS. There weren't no magi at the, like. Yeah. Where's where's <clears throat> toddler Jesus? I want toddler Jesus, you know, definitely. Yeah. Where are Make the baby killings? So I want the baby. No, like, yeah. don't, do <laughs> it's funny, like, and, and it, we, we've been joking about the whole like church activity scene with the kids, but like there's a big event near where I live called the Bethlehem walk. It's like a huge deal. Have you ever seen this thing? No, it's, it's uh they put it out in a County West between us two actually. And it's a huge event. 
Like there's hundreds of people involved with this. And this whole like they have this wall built. They've got all these actors like playing out parts of the story. And they never once mention anything about how these are like mashing two different accounts or anything like that. None of this right. well, nuance. Why would they, right? Yeah. Yeah, of course, because that would ruin the, the production, I guess. Yeah. Anyways. Well. Uh, so don't do that. Uh, let the let the authors have their own voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's our show. Now you're armed to angrily yell at school children when they're doing their nativity play, uh, which is something we recommend that all atheists do. Don't do that. <laughs> if you like the show, <laughs> hit like. If you didn't or you think we missed something or you just want to tell us your thoughts, hit comments. We read all your comments, I promise. Uh, you can also hit subscribe with a little bell to see what's coming up next. If you do that, you'll be notified next week when we're going to have Tim O'Neill on. He is going to be talking to us about Jesus mythicism, specifically about David Fitzgerald and the conversation we recently had about why we think that Jesus doesn't exist. Tim O'Neill is going to presumably rate our, pro- our performance and tell us why we were wrong, why Dave was wrong. It should be fun. And then after that, the 29th of December, we are going to be doing our long-awaited Shroud of Turin debunking. So we, for some reason, for reasons unfathomable to me, the most popular video on this channel at the date of recording is our Shroud of Turin mockery session. And we promised when we did that, we were actually going to go back and re- debunk it. So that's what we're doing right before the end of the new year. So we're just skating and we promised it would be this year and we're hitting it literally two days ahead of schedule. (laughs) Promises mid, promises. That's right. So that's right. So hit the subscribe button and you'll be notified when all that happens. But until then, remember you've always got reason to doubt. Peace out.